Our Father, in Jesus' name, we come and thank you for uh, your word and for your spirit and uh, for this time together. Uh, Father, we are in need of you making your appeal uh, through, through me to the hearts of your people. Father, fill us with your spirit. Give us your uh, wisdom. Um, help us, Lord, to, to hear what you have to say. Give us ears to hear. Um, give us mouths to speak uh, what's, what's there in the word. And uh, may you be pleased and glorified. May your people be edified and built up. May we be refreshed by your spirit, by seeing Jesus uh, today. Father, we ask these things for your glory in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. I want to uh, direct your attention to Exodus chapter 6 <clears throat> and part of 7. I want to talk to you today uh, from the subject, There is no plan B uh, if at first you don't succeed. Um, they used to say, try, try again. Um, Einstein said, if you do the same thing, expecting the same result uh, over and over again, it's insanity, a different result, rather. Um, some of you have heard the statement, if, you, if at first you don't succeed, try something different. Um, but this passage teaches us that there is no plan, plan B. Let's look at the passage, uh, Exodus chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading at verse 10. Uh, Exodus 6, verse 10. Uh, so the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershom, Kohath, Moriah, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years, the sons of Gershom, Libni, and Shemi, by their clans, the sons of Kohath, Amran, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years, the sons of Meriah, Mahli, Mushai, these are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amron took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amron being 137 years. The sons of Azhar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri, the sons of Uziel, Mishal, Eli, Zaphin, and Sitphara. Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, the daughter of Amininadab, 
and the sister of Nashon. And she bore him Nadib, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar, the sons of Korah, Esir, Elkinah, Nabiaseth. These are the clans of the Korahites. Eliezer, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Futiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their host. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from, the, from, from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh, the word of the Lord. Uh, you may recall from last week, we um, spoke from this passage in chapter uh, 5 and part of 6, and uh, the cry for freedom, the cry of the gospel that Moses brought uh, to Egypt. He said it to God's people, he spoke it to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said no. And uh, Pharaoh is not only uh, in the Old Testament, he is not only the portrait of Satan, he is the portrait of a Pharisee. He is the portrait of Pharisaism. In the face of uh, the gracious gospel, uh, his response is more enslaving work, more rules, more to do, to inflict uh, God's people. Uh, legalism seems to always be one of the chief responses to the gospel of grace. You need to do more. There's more rules that you need to follow. Legalism leads to, as it did in the case of God's people, it led to a crushed spirit. That's what legalism gets you, a crushed spirit. It's cruel slavery. It's cruel slavery that is close to God and His works. You remember in the, in the beginning of chapter 6 where God gives this message to Moses to tell uh, God's people, and it's a message that, that deals with God's reputation, what he's already done in the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and what he's going to do, the I wills of God. And the people can't hear it. They're closed off to it because of the rules, because of the slavery, because of the bitter spirit that they have. Um, legalism is a cruel master. The gospel can't be heard uh, 
because of the exactness. Remember we spoke about how the Pharisee is a merciless, exact in everything. Uh, everything has to be righteous down to the letter. The Bible says the letter kills. Um, the exact number of bricks, the same quota, only you have to rely on yourself to pull it off. That's what Pharisees did. That's what legalism does. It's up to you. Make sure you're exact, because if you're not, we're going to go on the attack. Um, the letter kills, but the Spirit of God leads you. The Spirit of God leads you to exalt Jesus to exalt his works, to exalt his being, to rest, to rely, to rejoice in Jesus and what he has accomplished, what he has achieved. And the Spirit of God moves you to respond to his love and his grace and his mercy with love and grace and mercy and compassion. Fruit of the Spirit is what's built inside of us. The end result of legalism is to be terrified of God and even terrified of people. Lest they find out that your reputation is all a sham. You're really not as good as you make people think you are. Um, yes, uh, someone may discover, find you out. But the result of the gospel is Jesus' power working in you, working through you for his own glory. Therefore, number one, because the Lord commits to work through you, commit to work for him. Now, God had just told Moses to tell God's people this message of freedom, what he's going to do, how he's going to bring his people out. Their spirit is crushed. They're overwhelmed. They can't hear it. They're closed. And then God goes back to Moses and says, take the same message back um, to Pharaoh. And um, why, Lord? It didn't work. <laughs> but there is no plan B. When, when God calls you to, to preach the gospel or to share the gospel or share his word, uh, there's no plan B. God doesn't need to rework things. You know, when, when Tide and all, whatever your pleasure is in cleaning clothes, they come out with a new and improved model. That means the first one didn't work right. It was wrong the first time. And um, interestingly, they still sell the old one, the original one, for the hardcore traditionalist. Um, but God never comes out with a new and improved thing. He comes back with the same message of the gospel. Um, the problem is not the message. The problem is the recipients. It's us. It's you. Um, what the enslaved need, what the legalists need. We heard in our prayer today, what the atheists, what the Muslims, what everybody out there needs, and you fill in the blank, is still the same old message of freedom through Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the salvation that God comes to bring. Jesus is the only answer there is. 
And the gospel is the only message there is that brings salvation and sanctification. The gospel brings sanctification. The Spirit of God is a sanctifier, and um, uh, the truth of God sanctifies us, and the truth centers on the person of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God comes to glory in Christ and to glorify Christ and to tell us about Christ and what He's done. Same old message of the gospel, of grace. Um, no matter how broken, no matter how legalistic, no matter how closed your ears might be, no matter how inadequate you might feel you are, Moses again highlights his uncircumcised lips. He highlights the hardness of Pharaoh. If your own people are not going to listen, how's Pharaoh going to listen? Talk about that in a second, but no matter what the case may be, no matter what challenges out there, there's no plan B. The message is the same. Um, God is a redeemer, and he's able to redeem. God's, God is wiser than, than you are. The, um, his purposes are airtight. God never goes back scratching his head when things don't seem to work at first. He's got a plan. Pop psychologists uh, tell you that you have all you will ever need inside of you right now. Uh, when they say this, I like to call them pop psychos. Um, mankind at his core is broken. He's a broken vessel. He's depraved. Every single aspect of your being has been inflicted and infected with sin. We're broken. You're broken. And um, uh, I cringe. I brace myself. I pray when I, when I hear people confident in their own integrity. Uh, because the Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. You don't know how bad you really are. And um, Mr. T used to say, I pity the fool, you know. I'm not going to call nobody a fool, but I pity the person who thinks they got it together. Um, even Levi Stubbs, you remember Levi Stubbs? Some of you do. Even he had the humility to sing, I believe in you and me. I believe that we will be in love eternally. Then he said, as, as far as I can see. Um, none of us can see eternally. Um, Peter said, I'll never deny you. I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Three times he denied the Lord. The only reason he returned is because Jesus prayed for him. That's the only reason he came back. The Lord wants to work through us in spite of us. We've got inadequacies. Moses' uncircumcised lips. Pharaoh's hard heart. Israel's broken slavery and hard heart and bitterness the message stays the same. God is willing to work through you as you share that message. So be committed to working for him and for his plans in spite of the way things might appear initially. Uh, this leads to the second point, because the Lord works extraordinarily through your disorderly and ordinary Life, rely on him. You know, uh, right after um, verse 13 in chapter 6, 
you have this genealogy that takes up a good portion of the um, chapter, and it seems uh, quite out of place. It seems like the um, Moses fell asleep and woke up and was reminiscing and um, started writing down stuff and forgot the context he was writing in. <laughs> it seems, um, so seems like it's uh, random. That was random, Moses. What's that about, you know? Um, but God, as you know, is never random. But why, why point out uh, Moses's and Aaron's in particular, their pedigree at this particular point? I- I'm glad you asked. Uh, because in so doing, it demonstrates, as you will see, uh, the type of God we serve and the type of people he calls into his service. Um, as you look at this genealogy, uh, you see that God aims to encourage you and to give you hope uh, in spite of, of you, um, and, and even warn you. Uh, there are certain characteristics of this genealogy that we'd like to point out. Uh, number one, uh, one of the reasons it's here is to demonstrate that this is real history. You know, God is about to do some very profound things in Egypt, and he, he wants, to, he wants to, to, to nail this thing down. This happened in history. This is not a myth. It actually happened, what God's going to do in Egypt. Some people would read that story and say, wow, that's, a, that's profound. I don't know if I believe it or not, but, but God wants to drill this thing home. This is a historical fact. It happened in real time uh, in history. Secondly, there are, it's interesting how God um, cuts short the, the, the line of Jacob. He only mentions Reuben, Simeon, and, and Levi. And if you think about those guys and you go back to Genesis 49, uh, you find out that they're the only three guys in the family of Israel that, that Israel, Jacob, gave a bad word about. He said something negative about these guys. He didn't say ne- anything negative about it, the rest of his children. Uh, but Reuben was the preeminent one, but he went up in his father's couch. He slept with his father's wife, his concubine. That's the last word he gives about him. That's kind of bad. Um... And he would no longer be preeminent, but he's mentioned here. And Simeon and Levi, they're the guys that God, uh, that that Jacob, Jacob cursed their anger. They hurt animals just for the fun of it. And in their anger, they had a temper. They killed guys um, because they had a sense of, of, of injustice that was done to their sister and and later on, to, um, to their own brothers and, and sisters, they, they kill folk. Um, and then, the, you know, God has an unconventional way of selecting people who are not the firstborn. Levi is the one that gets the most press in this, in this genealogy. Even more than Mo- Moses' children aren't even mentioned here, but Aaron's children are mentioned to the fifth generation. And... Um, um, he doesn't mention the, uh, the polished. Uh, this, this genealogy is framed by Levi and Phineas, uh, two guys who were uh, all about justice, and um, both of them, Levi and Phineas, killed because of idolatry and immorality that was in the camp. Um, and God again, uh, unconventionally names women. You know, some people, the Bible gets a bad rap. Some people say that the Bible is patriarchal. No, it's not. 
the culture was, but God is the one who was revolutionary. He was the one who was innovative in his thinking. He created woman in, this, in, the, in his image, equal with man in his image. Um, he's the one who, who, in this particular story, used women to save the one who was coming to deliver. It was five women who were used to save Moses. Um, he's the one who's innovative. He's not patriarchal. He's, he's the one who's progressive, if you will. Dare I say so. Um, but he mentions women. Remember Helen Reddy, I am woman, hear me roar. Um, these are not, uh, as someone said, these are not little women. Uh, Jochebed. Jochebed was a woman of faith. She believed, she saw something in Moses, and she, she kept him safe from the king. Um, she was like a, a Harriet Tubman, right? That's a tough woman there too, baby. Don't mess with Harriet. Jochebed was a, was a woman of faith, and, and Elisheba, Aaron's wife, is mentioned, and she's not even a Levite. That's another issue about this. Um, uh, later on, Levites were supposed to only marry Levites. She was a Judite. Um, Aaron and Moses, uh, they're a product of incest. It wasn't necessarily called incest at this time because the law had not been given that you can't marry your aunt. But, but later on, you know, ex quo facto, if that was enforced, baby, they would have been kicked out. They were bastards, man. Yeah, that's kind of weird. That's kind of strange. Why bring all this stuff up? They're kind of disorderly, right? They're kind of ordinary folk here. Um, and... Uh, Aaron's um, marriage was mixed, and Korah was later going to rebel and get swallowed up by the earth. You have to remember the people who were going to read this account were the people who were, who were not, they weren't, Moses wasn't writing this as, he, as this was happening. This is something he wrote later on. And God's people read about this and read about the family line, and they knew what happened to Korah. But he's here. And, um, and how Phineas. Uh, Phineas finishes out the, uh, the genealogy here. Phineas was the one who brought peace back in the camp. Like Jesus, Phineas is the one who, who had a perpetual priesthood because of what he did, because he, he, he saw the idolatry of a man taking a Midianite woman and being immoral right in the presence of Moses and Aaron, crying out to God, and, and Phineas drove a spear right through them and killed them and the wrath of God was going to wipe out the camp, but Phineas stopped it. He brought atonement that day. He's a portrait of Jesus. Um, uh, what broken branches are in your family tree? What blighted leaves and rotten roots are in your family tree? Um, where has the sap in your family tree been eaten by scavengers? You ever think about that? Where have the bats and the snakes in your family tree made a, fam made a, made a, made a home in the hollowness of the, the trunk of your tree? Think about your family. You ever think about that? You ever think about where you come from and the people you came from? Does it ever become a stopping point in your life, a paralyzing thought in your life? My grandfather was an alcoholic. 
My mother was born out of wedlock. We got all kinds of brokenness in our families, disorderliness in our families. My grandfather on my father's side was a moonshiner. <laughs> the FBI were looking for him. And keep looking, he's been dead for 30 years. Um, but we've all got stuff in our family tree. We've got, we've got places where the vines and have choked some limbs and we think it's going to stop God from making progress. The bark has been eaten away by the rodents in your family tree, but, but God's got a plan with broken people. He's got a plan with disorderly family trees. God can pick up the pieces through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you come from and no matter where you've been, God is a God who, who plants a brand new tree. God is a God who can take a, a broken tree, a blighted tree, and he's going to create a brand new tree that's got brand new fruit for his glory and for his majesty. And when Israel would look back on this record of brokenness and disorderliness, uh, they would say, wow, God is still able to pull it off. God is the only one who's the perfect one. He's the only one that's got it all together. And because that's so, number three, because the Lord made you for his wonders to be seen and for his name to be known, obey him, love him. You see that here in, in the end portion of chapter 6 and chapter 7. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you, and, and the ASV puts like there, but the like's not in Hebrew. It says, I've made you God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. And you shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of the land. And God uh, specifically says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, last time this came up, we talked about how, how God had given Pharaoh over. God's not being unfair to Pharaoh. Pharaoh hates God. He did that all by himself. He, that, that, that hardness he had in his heart was a self-inflicted wound. And so God kept him there because God's got a purpose to work through that hardness of heart. So God purposely hardened him. He gave him over to his sin. He gave him over to his wickedness because God wanted to do wonders and God wanted to do miracles down in Egypt. God wanted to bring judgments, the Bible says, against the false gods of, of Egypt. And God wanted to do this because God was in it to make a name for himself. God was in it because he wanted people to, to know. He says, I want Egypt to know that I am the Lord. His purpose is missional. He's a missionary. God's an evangelist. And the reason why he hardens Pharaoh's heart is because God wants to make a name for himself. So that Rahab later on will say, we heard what the Lord did in Egypt. And I want in. I want to trust the Lord. God came down to Egypt to make a name for himself. He came down to Egypt to judge the false gods of Egypt, so that everybody in the world would know that the gods of Egypt are non-existent things. Went to China years ago and um, went to a temple. They had thousands of statues that all represented a god. 
And you could, you, you, it's amazing you see the, the Chinese people, some of the Chinese people walk around, they, it's like they're walking on eggshells. Because they saw this is the house of the gods. And there was one there of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? And boy, I was, I didn't want to get deported, but boy, if I had a club, man, I felt like breaking some stuff, you know what I mean? And leaving that one there. Um, and even breaking that one because it's, uh, God said, don't make no image of me. We live in a world where there's all kinds of false gods all over the place, and, and God is in this to make a name for himself. He says, I made you God to Moses. You know, you may be the only Bible someone reads. Did you ever hear that? You may be the only Bible someone reads. When they see your life, when they hear you talk, when they see you walk. Um, Paul, uh, uh, Paul said, and, and it's, you see it here, Moses was an ambassador for God. That's the point. I've made you God. And so, so and you see there that Moses and Aaron, they, it says they do, in verse 6, they do everything that God commands them to do. So God calls us to faithfulness, albeit imperfectly and sometimes seemingly empty. God calls us to faithfulness um, uh, because God is going to use your faithfulness in ways that you can't possibly imagine. Um, God sends his word through, through Moses. He sends his word through Aaron, and Aaron is like his prophet. His mouthpiece, that's what a prophet is, it's a voice, that's what John the Baptist said, the chief of the prophets. Who are you, John? I'm a voice. I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. That's what Aaron was supposed to be, a voice. And God was going to speak to Moses face to face, mouth to mouth, and tell him exactly what to say. And, um, and that's, what, that's what Moses did. That's what God does through you. The Bible says that um, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that, 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 that we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. That when, that when you share the Bible, when you share the gospel, when you speak the word to anybody, wherever you are, God himself is speaking through you. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10, it's not you speaking, it's the spirit of God in you that's speaking when you say what God says. You know what God said to Moses? He said, just repeat after me. That's what God says to you. Just repeat after me. And the Spirit of God will speak. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message comes from the Word of Christ. Jesus Christ speaks through you when you share the gospel with others. And you're not perfect, right? Uh, there, there, sometimes there's not always an exact correspondence, but, but the point is that you get the message right. Jesus is the message. The gospel is the message. And... Um, it's the foundation for everything in life. Um, God uses that message, those words of his to create. When God created the world, when nothing else was here but God, God just spoke and everything came into being. David said, create in me a clean heart. That's like one of the next times that the word create comes. Only God can create 
And he said, create in me a clean heart. You can't get a clean heart without the scripture, without the spirit working in and by the word. And that's what God does when you speak the word to people. He creates clean hearts. He creates faith. He creates new trees that bear new fruit. God made you for his wonders and his name to be known. Isn't that, don't you think that's amazing? I think it's amazing that, that a former rebel, pervert, enemy would be called into partnership with the almighty God. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. But God loves you and says, I want you in my army. I want you in my battalion. I want you to stand with me. I want you to speak and repeat after me and watch what I do with my word. He told Jeremiah, I'm watching to make sure that my word gets fulfilled. That's probably the next time when, when God says to a person, just repeat after me. I'll put the words in your mouth. They're right here. Um, it's amazing one time, I don't know how often you've, if you've felt this or experienced this, but just coming to uh, church and, and just hearing the word of God read, it refreshes you. It roots you. It establishes you. Just hearing it read. God's word is powerful. God's word is alive. Is there any mystery why Jesus would be called the word of God? Uh, he's the very subject of the scripture. And, um, and God wants uh, to speak through you. He sends you. Uh, Jesus is the sower. And, and he calls you to sow the word, to sow him in the hearts of people. Um, thy word, God's word, is powerful. Hidden in the heart is powerful. Um, just repeat after God. Um, and, and as far as results are concerned, as far as results and whether people get saved uh, on your watch, uh, mind your own business, you know? Uh, the results are up to God, okay? His business is to make it grow, and he's going to mind his business. You just mind your business, you know what I mean? <laughs> Sometimes we say that. I don't mean it in a mean way. Sometimes we say that mind your own beeswax. We mean something mean, you know? I don't mean no harm. I don't. But just my, stay in your lane, you know what I mean? Driving down the road, somebody come, stay in your lane, man. Or it's going to get messy. Um, and uh, Moses and Aaron were, were obedient. And, and Moses and Aaron were old. 80 and 83. If I was Pharaoh, I would have laughed at him. Two old guys coming out. Now, wait a minute, because, because Moses, you know, he was 120, and his, his strength wasn't abated. He could still get with you. That's what it says in the Bible. He was 120, and he was still tough as nails. But still, 80 and 83, man. They take a Geritol, coming down there. They must have thought his rod was a cane. Uh, but it doesn't make a difference your age your weakness, your inadequacy. God made you for his wonders. And that's, that's kind of the point, isn't it? 
that oftentimes God uses such weak, such broken, such inadequate vessels. Paul said, we have this treasure in a jar of clay to show that the excellency of the power comes from God. Um, Jesus Christ, the seal of God's love, the glory of God, he suffered. He was plagued on Calvary. And it's amazing, at his weakest point, he defeated the most powerful foe. That's profound. Jesus, at his weakest, beat the strongest foe. How much more? Now raised from the dead, ruling in your heart. How much more is he able to do? God is able through you to do immeasurably more than anything you could possibly ask or imagine according to the power at work within you. God is able. And uh, I don't know why God keeps repeating these themes in these chapters because he knows that we need to get the point. We are legalists by nature. We rely on ourselves by nature. We depend on ourselves by nature, and we need to hear over and over again, it's God in you, the hope of glory. That's the only way there's going to be glory seen, is because God is in you, Christ is in you. It's not about you, you're dead. Your life is hidden in Christ with God. It's not you, it's not your carefulness, it's not your exactness. It's God Almighty working through brokenness, working through weakness, making a name for himself. In spite of our blunders and our mistakes and our failures, God works through us, and his truth marches on. Glory, hallelujah to God. Glory, hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God, the King of kings, the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Once was dead, but alive and well right now, living inside of you. Yeah, man, this stuff is good. Nothing is impossible with God. He does his work. He builds his church, and he's going to do it through disorderly, ordinary. He's extraordinary. You know, it's sad. I don't know what your thoughts are, but, um, you know, God works through our weakness so that he can prove who he is. Let's pray. Our Father, in Christ's name, we come. We thank you that there is no plan B. You're not daunted when things don't seem to work out. Things don't seem to look right, sound right, feel right. You're simply not moved from your initial message of freedom. Oh, Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that his truth marches on. He's going to build his church on the rock of his own identity, the rock of his own message, the rock of the cross. Father, thank you that you do the impossible to let us know it's not us. 
It's not just a coincidence. It's not the right time, the right place. It's you working through Jesus by your spirit for your glory. God, you made us brand new. Father, use us. Bear fruit in us. Help us to abide in that vine, Jesus Christ, to rely on him, to bring all our weakness, wickedness, weakness, unworthiness to him, and to let him use us. Oh, Father, thank you for your grace and goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.